Focus on Headline. And let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio, we have our reporters, Kwon Zhua and Che Jae-hee. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. Good evening. All right, uh, we continue to take a look at uh, what's going on up north. Uh, we've been getting more and more reports of these outbreaks uh, in North Korea, but also uh, deaths. Uh, being reported as well. Uh, they have been beginning to uh, deploy military forces to supply medicine to pharmacies in the capital. So, Chi, start us off with the situation up north. Sure. So, the COVID-19 outbreak is growing exponentially in the north, and the official Korean Central News Agency reported that according to the State Emergency Epidemic Prevention Headquarters, over 269,510 people showed symptoms of fever, and additional six deaths were reported as of 6 p.m. Monday. So this raised the total number of COVID-19-related deaths to 56 as well. And the media outlet reported that the total number of fever cases stood at more than 1.48 million as of Monday 6 p.m., of which 81,990 had fully recovered and at least 663,090 are being treated. The KCNA said the military medical field of the People's Army urgently deployed its forces to all pharmacies in Pyongyang and began to supply medicines under the 24-hour service system on the special orders of the North's leader, Kim Jong-un. Uh, some top officials visited pharmacies in several districts to inspect the demand and supply of medicines as well as their hygienic condition. And officials from the cabinet and leading officials across the state helped transport the medicine to pharmacies and clinics and took measures to prevent the unfair supply of medical supplies and treatment among patients. So military forces and party officials were directly deployed in the supply and transport of medicines as there was a surge in the pandemic. And this led to an increase in the hoarding and illegal distribution of the supplies. Yeah, some things don't change, right? I mean, yeah. we kind of did see uh, hoarding happen in uh, different parts of the world as well due to the uh, the outbreaks. But it is interesting that they're focusing so much on uh, Pyongyang, uh, although I'm sure that uh, the outbreak is uh, affecting uh, many other uh, provinces and areas and cities uh, across uh, North Korea. But uh, no, nevertheless, uh, what other efforts are being made there? Well, efforts are being made from all fronts. Uh, so pharmaceutical factories across the country have increased their production and some uh, 100 and excuse me. Uh, 11,000 officials, teachers, and students from the medical field have been mobilized to examine and treat all residents in the area. And COVID-19-related data, including the efficiency and side effects of medicines, treatment period, and method are being collected and analyzed as well. And residents are being uh, educated about the basics of the stealth Omicron as well. And considering the fact that the North is currently only telling patients with symptoms of fever uh, because there's a lack of necessary test equipment for uh, for thorough testing of the symptoms. The number of confirmed cases is expected to be a lot higher, and experts estimate the actual number of fatalities to be five to six times higher than the reported figure. Yeah, again, I mean, I I can't imagine them operating a uh, you know a testing. 
system just like South Korea or other parts of the world mm. where they have like PCR tests or rapid antigen tests. It really does seem like, you know, they check the temperature. Uh, is there a fever going on? Okay, so that's a fever of unknown causes. There's a very good chance that it's COVID-19. But at the same time, there's other people who probably have it, haven't reported yeah. uh, in North Korea. So absolutely, I think the numbers would be far uh, larger than what we're seeing so far. But along with news that uh, North Korea have been uh, turning to China for help, uh, the country has reportedly been buying COVID-19 related medicine from its allies since uh, last month. Uh, so uh, let's get the details on that. Right. According to Chinese sources familiar to North Korea, North Korean officials dispatched to cities near the border with China, like Shenyang and Dalian in Liaoning province, have been purchasing a variety of medicines through North Korean traders since late last month. The list of drugs and medicine supplies ordered by the North from these traders is known to not only include uh, COVID-19-related medicine such as fever reducers, but also general drugs such as painkillers, anti-inflammatory drugs, insulin, diabetes treatments, oxygen masks, swabs, and thermometers. But of course, all of these do seem to at least indirectly uh, be COVID-19-related as well. Uh, Reports quoted a North Korean trader as saying that uh, orders came in from the end of last month, and on the second and third this month during the labor uh, holiday, there were even pushes made to urge them to get those medicines quickly. And based on these words, it's being assumed that the coronavirus was already spreading across North Korea before the country first disclosed its infections on May 12th. The trader explained that it took a long time to secure the ordered quantity as Chinese authorities strictly regulate the sale of medicines, such as that of fever reducers. Uh, In order not to let people infected with COVID-19 mistake their illness with a cold and not take PCR tests. In fact, another source says uh, these regulations in China will make it difficult for North Korea to get in the hands uh, of sufficient medicines. For now, the recently secured medicines are expected to be shipped on the 25th from Dalian port to the North Korean port of Nampo on a North Korean ship. Uh, This Tuesday, we also learned that the North has brought a large bulk of medicines through a flight on Monday. Uh, Again, specific items here have not been identified in this case, uh, but it's presumed to be COVID-19-related quarantine supplies requested by North Korea to China. Three aircraft belonging to Koryo Air, a North Korean state-run airline, arrived at Shenyang Taoshen Airport in Liaoning province uh, in China yesterday morning before returning to North Korea. Korea on the same afternoon. Now, that was uh, regarding flights. And then uh, also various medicine supplies were known to have been included in a freight train recently after freight services were resumed between North Korea and China for the first time in one and a half years. But uh, currently, again, uh, these um, routes have been suspended by China due to virus prevention. So in on many um in many ways, the North uh, is trying to uh, secure these medicines from China right yeah, now. Yeah, again, but the big question is, I mean, the, you know, is it enough, right? I mean, because it does seem like they're really struggling to, you know, get enough of these medicines. Uh, if they're saying these hundreds of thousands of cases that, again, I mean, we still think it's COVID-19 and we think the numbers are far higher. Um, they're going to need more assistance, but still China on, on its behalf tried to help North Korea in various ways to fight COVID-19, one of the few allies that North Korea does have. But I mean... It, has been vague in announcing how much of help they're actually offering 
the north. So uh, tell us more about this, Soa. Right. Uh, that help uh, from China also appears to be coming in the form of uh, medical personnel. As reports say, authorities have been recruiting doctors and nurses in places nearby the border to North Korea since last week to dispatch them to the north. And according to observers, the aid will mainly be handled by Liaoning and Jilin provinces near to the north. A source in Liaoning province says each department in large hospitals is transferring two people to help out. So uh, China, while openly having announced its will to support North Korea during the COVID crisis, continues to keep its scale, schedule and forms of aid uh, to itself. Now, Chinese uh, foreign ministry spokesperson, uh, a Chinese uh, foreign ministry spokesperson, when asked about such information, said at a briefing, uh, we hope to cooperate closely with North Korea, but we do not yet have any specific information on the specific issues asked. Yeah, I mean, so little information right now. I mean, but uh, I think even though we're not getting that much information from what's exactly going on, I think uh, it's actually a lot worse than what is being reported, which is why I think, to be honest with you, uh, North Korea needs more uh, help than just getting from China, right? Mm -hmm. The South Korea... I, they did say they'll spare no effort to help North Korea in its fight against COVID-19. And this is despite the fact that Yoon Sagir, we thought we knew that uh, he was going to be very hawkish with North Korea. But this is a humanitarian uh, crisis that we're looking at here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, South Korean government, of course, proposing working level talks. North Korea, in the meantime, is still not responding to that offer. Jihee, let's get the details of this. Right. So the South Korean foreign ministry stated that it had a routine phone call with the North on Monday morning and mentioned the proposal of working level talks to provide practical help in response to the virus. Uh, however, the ministry has not yet received any formal responses from the North regarding the matter. So the South Korean government attempted attempted to send a formal message to the North through their liaison office and the unification ministry said it had sought to deliver the fax message, but the North did not clarify whether it will accept the notification. Uh, nevertheless, an official of the foreign ministry stated that the South Korean government plans to wait patiently for North Korea's response without urging them to answer. And the official added that the North will need some time to review the notification and decide whether to accept it. Uh, if the offer is accepted, the working level meeting could be held via video call, but the format of the cooperation will stay practical and flexible, considering the urgency of the North's pandemic situation. And the ministry added that it hopes to discuss the assistance of vaccines, medical supplies, masks and test kits, as well as express willingness to share their experiences against the virus and cooperation and technical expertise. Uh, the new unification minister, Kwon Young-se, said that Seoul will actively seek cooperation with Pyongyang over the issue and said, quote-unquote, when it comes to humanitarian cooperation, including in healthcare and disease prevention, the government will pursue cooperation without any conditions, regardless of the political situation. Not to mention the World Health Organization also stressing that the uh, organization is ready to provide a support and is uh, waiting for information to be shared by the North. So what do we have on that? Right. So expressing concern over the COVID-19 outbreak in North Korea, the WHO reiterated its commitment to support the country's response to the pandemic. 
Uh, Dr. Poonam Ketrapal Singh, who's the regional director of WHO Southeast Asia, uh, said with the country yet to initiate COVID-19 vaccination, there is a risk that the virus may spread rapidly among the masses unless curtailed with immediate and appropriate measures. So WHO is awaiting information from the National Focal Person for International Health Regulations about the outbreak in the North. And Singh said the WHO stands, quote-unquote, committed to assisting their member country as needed by providing technical support to scale up testing, strengthen case management, uh, implement situation-specific public health and social measures, and provide essential medical supplies and medicines. Uh, Meanwhile, WHO continues to work with the national authorities by providing them with necessary information and COVID-19 vaccines available through COVAX. All right. Of course, uh, supporting North Korea in its response against COVID-19 was uh, also many issues, many of the issues that uh, top diplomats of South Korea and China have discussed in their first bilateral talks uh, since Seoul's foreign minister Park Jin uh, took office last week. Uh, let's get the details of this, Hoa. Yes, uh, where to start? A wide range of topics came up in the first uh, virtual meeting between South Korea's top diplomat Park Jin and his Chinese counterpart Wang Yi on Monday, being the first such discussion since the Yoon Song yeol administration kicked off. So pending issues like North Korea's spread of COVID-19 were also part of the talks, so with both Park and Wang expressing concerns over the virus situation in the North, agreeing to exchange opinions on humanitarian aid and continue to consult each other on such needs. Discussions on North Korea, of course, also evolve around securing peace on the Korean Peninsula and how to get Pyongyang back to denuclearization talks. The two showed subtle differences in their perception of the current situation on the Korean Peninsula, though, uh, as it's fact that the North has been frequently conducting missile launches this year and uh, speculations uh, that a nuclear test may also be imminent. Minister Park mentioned North Korea's advancement of nuclear and missile capabilities not only deteriorates the situation on the Korean Peninsula, but also does not meet the interests of both countries and which is why South Korea and China have to work together to manage the situation. He also called for China's constructive role in making North Korea refrain from further provocations. Whereas Wang said, Thanks to the efforts of all parties involved, the Korean Peninsula has generally maintained peace, providing a necessary environment for the development of the two countries and the region as a whole. And uh, beyond the Korean Peninsula, Wang, in an apparent request to South Korea to not join U.S.-led pressure on China, uh, said Seoul and Beijing should oppose the negative impact of decoupling and cutting off chains. So with that referring to breaking off economic links with China. In terms of South Korea's broader diplomatic strategy, though, Seoul's foreign minister emphasized the common value of liberal democracy, calling on Beijing to play an active role and fulfill its responsibilities and duties in the international community. So these remarks from both sides seem to be hinting some hurdles ahead. Uh, But uh, with this year marking 30 years of diplomatic ties between South Korea and China, deepening their relations uh, via high-level communication, mutual cooperation, as well as cultural exchanges was also brought up during the talks. You know, this is really interesting. I think uh, going into the new UN administration, the consensus was that uh, the relations between Seoul and Beijing, it was going to sour uh, 
uh, and what we saw at day one, right, the inauguration, uh, we saw that uh, Chinese vice president uh, attending the uh, the inauguration ceremony, hinting that maybe you know China is looking to get at least uh, some uh, way to pull South Korea away from. The United States a little bit, right? I mean, you know, still, I think that the big uh, emphasis is still a South Korea-U.S. alliance right now. But what are your predictions or how do you even want the South Korea-China ties to develop with this new administration, with the kind of developing stories that we've been getting, getting uh, in the past uh, week or so? Let's uh, start off with you, Chihi. Well, it's really, really difficult because we have to look out for all the big players in the international uh, stage, on the international stage, and they have different national interests. And we have different special relationships with uh, all of the countries surrounding us. And But then the truth is we can't really be the main player uh, in this on this stage because the main players are obviously the U.S., uh, China, Russia. But we still have to, I believe, have to take sides uh, on one of these big players to really survive. But don't make it too obvious. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I don't know how you're not going to make it obvious. <laughs> well, but uh, my prediction That's what diplomacy forward, is all about. Yeah, that's what diplomacy is <laughs> Not, uh, not completely, you know, concretely stating your stance. Anyway, um, and going forward, I predict that we are still going to be leaning more towards the U.S. because uh, that's the stance that we believe the Yoon administration is taking. And he's being really subtle with this as well. Uh, he made his first parliamentary speech yesterday, and uh, he mentioned various things, but he also mentioned uh, IPEF, uh, the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. Right. And the mentioning of that was quite special because a president mentioning that is actually officializing that uh, we're more leaning towards the U.S. because this uh, this cooperative cooperative body is evaluated to be like a U.S.-led body that is used to uh, keep a check on China. Yeah. So mentioning that is like a subtle um, kind of hinting that the administration will still uh, take sides with the U.S. a little bit more. But uh, regarding what happened with the foreign ministers, it seems that we look kind of our relations with China still look a little more positive. But that's uh, why I'm saying we have to be taking sides with one of the big players, but don't be too obvious with it. It's really difficult. Well, I mean, it yeah. doesn't seem like they're trying not to be obvious. If you're saying you're going to be part of the IPF, and also another thing to look at, you know, Joe Biden coming to uh, yeah. Seoul before he goes to Tokyo for the Quad Summit, right? And now there's talks about South Korea potentially joining the Quad as a working group. I mean, there's nothing more obvious uh, than joining, uh, being a part of the Quad. I mean, I, I don't think they're, again, they're not going to be joining the Quad mm -hmm. per se, right? Uh, but still, uh, it, it can't, I don't I don't know how they can do this without being ambiguous. I mean, that, that was the one thing that kind of the Moon administration was doing, right? They were, I, I still think with the Moon administration, they were leaning towards the United States, uh, but still not making it too big, which kind of irked the United States, right? Because they weren't fully uh, contributing to the United States' uh, efforts to go up against uh, China. But, uh, it's 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 tough to be honest with you. So, uh, do you have a way to do this ambiguously without having to make it <laughs> obvious that we're choosing one side over the other? Wow, uh, that totally changes the uh, perspective of 
the first question you had on what we expect yeah, 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 <laughs> or what yeah. we want in the next administration. Um, Let's go with that first then. I mean, what do you, expe- uh, what do you want uh, from the next administration, uh, well, this new administration to do when it comes to South Korea-China ties? Um, first off, I want to refer back to the uh, meeting between the top diplomats between South mm-hmm. Korea and uh, China, where I found the remark made by Wang Yi regarding the Korean Peninsula very interesting when he said that the situation seems to be quite peaceful. And uh, when he made that statement, I kind of felt that like he had some, what would be the word for median in English, like uh, lingering feelings yeah, yeah. towards the Moon Jae-in administration. Uh, that was what I kind of felt uh, during Wang's um, remarks during those uh, talks. Uh, so I think that the Yoon Seok-yeol and the Xi Jinping administration, uh, the two governments need to get more friendly with each other in the coming weeks and the coming months. But I think uh, the fact that this year marks 30 years of diplomatic ties, I think it is the best opportunity for these two sides to develop their uh, relations. And uh, also what I want to mention is we know that um, we've been saying a lot that uh, with the new UN administration, we might have a better chance in improving South Korea-Japan ties than uh, the earlier administration. But then uh, we have been expressing concerns about South Korea-China ties compared to the Moon administration. Uh, But what I want to mention is that it's quite obvious that Seoul and Tokyo have more problems with each other than Seoul and Beijing. So with that said, I think there's a better chance for the UN administration to, uh, at this point, to maybe develop both these uh, relations with these neighbors than the uh, Moon administration. Yeah, but I mean, Seoul, Beijing, I don't think there's real, really any problems, right? I mean, right, that's th- what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's nothing to really work at. It's just really a matter of having South Korea having to choose sides once again, right? And so that that was kind of the big thing. And again, I mean, the, with Moon administration, they're trying to do their best in trying to balance it. But obviously not everyone was going to be happy when you're balancing it. China, in the meantime, they're going, oh, you know, we'll take that, right? We'll, we'll take what the Moon administration is doing. And I really think the reason why they're pushing so hard in trying to get South Korea on their side is because they know that with the UN administration, they're really going, I, I think it's inevitable that the relations with U.S. is going to be better with South Korea than South Korea and China. Mm. But they're still trying to do what they can to, you know, make the relations not go too south. Mm. Uh, so it, it's, I, 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 I can't see this go well mm-hmm. with China moving forward. I think this is just because it's the beginning stages and they're just talking and everything is friendly in the beginning, in the early stages. Um, it, it eventually is going to be the United States, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, South Korea is that's what the UN administration kind of pushed for from the very start. So, can I just well, add one? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, just really briefly, um, I I'm not really sure. I mean, since we're not we're all not experts in this matter, uh, we can't say what should be the right answer. But what I can say for sure is not be like the Moon administration in terms of the vague neutrality, because the neutral that that vague neutral kind of stance towards China was what what made uh, Korea weak against China, and that's why we had to. It's wait, regarding, weak, wait, weak against regarding, China. And regarding what? regarding the Thad. Uh, example, for example, that issue wasn't sub- something that uh, China 
had like a control over. It sh- should have been like a non-negotiable confidential issue of our country and the U.S. But they thought they had control over it because they uh, we made it seem like it was a negotiable open diplomatic issue. So that's why we had to face all the retaliatory measures uh, back then. And the, neutrality the- was what led to weakness in the administration. And it was a, I believe, destructive vice but of gee, him. Gee, as a the, the that, that, deplo- <laughs> that deployment happened during the previous Pakane administration. It wasn't during the Moon administration. No, but during oh. the Moon administration, uh, yeah. we, we negotiated with China uh, 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 in regards to... In regards to what? Not setting up more batteries, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, it wasn't required, right? I mean, again, balancing out, but the, what was uh, the big <laughs> conflict between South Korea and China? What were you afraid of? That China was going to start attacking South Korea? I mean, because is that they what? Were no, but they have been stopping their travels, their tourism to South Korea, yes, for instance. That was quite a, quite a hit. Too. Right, but then, I mean, South Korea, it's not like they kind of deployed more of that or they got rid of it. It's still there, right? Uh, and, and so, I again, I mean... To me, generally not taking any side right now, uh, if you're trying to make everyone happy, it's like I made this kind of comparison. I don't know if you guys played games where you're you know, creating a character and you have like four different stats. You can't put all stats, everything on one stat, right? You have to try to balance it. And obviously balancing it means that you're going to have not as much strength and whatever and so forth. So you're saying it's better than, so we need to basically go with what the UN administration was pushing for. It's just... That's not even ambiguous, then. You're, you're saying you have to do it ambiguous, but yet you're saying siding with the United States is the best policy at this time, and then just kind of dump China off no, on the don't side. don't dump them. Don't <laughs> dump them. Do like as they did, like the foreign ministers, what they did. They were very positive in, in terms of their meeting. But that's all talks, though. And but eventually it has to happen in front of you. Something has to be there, right? I mean, how are you going to improve or keep the ties? You can't just say, you know, talking, talking, everything is okay. Something has to be done, right? <laughs> you know, what I also want to mention is we've been saying that uh, we, we have mentioned the U.S.-led IPEF initiative, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. I think with that, actually, we... Uh, uh, that's, that could be kind of an alternative for us not to be joining Quad, uh, you know, I mean, not really joining Quad, but, you know, as an observer, like a for instance. Level. So yeah. that could actually even be uh, the UN administration's, you know, um, way ha- of staying not like not going too much to deciding too much with the U.S., but already by, you know, being part of IPF, right? I mean, because China's already made, mentioned it, right? They're, they're, they're basically saying, listen, I mean, uh, try not to join this U.S.-led yeah. pressure on China. So, <laughs> But for South Korea, IPEF does not mean, um, a, you know, an alliance against China. It's something else. What is it then? <laughs> Let me cite, <laughs> cite some government officials in a bit. But for they do have been saying that this is rather for economic benefits for South Korea. That's true, but like, yeah, it's so true. So like on the surface, that's like the um, reason behind Mm -hmm. this body. But people still do believe that it's a body that's used against China, uh, that's led by the US, but it's not like an official kind of evaluation. So that's kind of how South Korea does not want to make it obvious. uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I I, I still don't understand where your ambiguity comes from, because there's nothing ambiguous about all the things that you've said. Uh, We're going to move on uh, because this conversation is just going to go on and on. Uh, we have President Joe Biden, of course, uh, visiting South Korea real soon. Uh, the summit is going to take place on the 21st, I believe. Uh, U.S. Senate passing a resolution stressing the importance of U.S.-South Korea alliance. Uh, Chihi, let's get the details of that. Sure. So the resolution reaffirming the importance of the U.S. alliances introduced
introduced by Senators Jim Risch and Bob Menendez was passed last Wednesday. Uh, the resolution calls for the U.S. to reinforce its defense treaty commitments to all allies in the Indo-Pacific and Europe and deepen and expand commitments to its allies such as South Korea, Japan, Australia, and NATO. Uh, the Senate noted the U.S.-South Korea alliance is the linchpin of peace, security, and prosperity on the Korean Peninsula and in the Indo-Pacific region and is critical to closely coordinating to face the challenges posed by the DPRK and addressing future security challenges. Uh, the resolution also urges the Biden administration to ensure U.S. policy and posture reflect the requirements of extended deterrence to preserve non-proliferation benefits, assure allies, and respond, if necessary, to nuclear and non-nuclear threats in defense of allies and partners. All right. Uh, we're going to move on to uh, more diplomacy. Uh, South Korea-Japan ties, right? Uh, again, we did expect uh, some things to ease here. Uh, this is a first sign of things to ease. Starting today, Japan has started to exempt Koreans from a three-day quarantine period when entering uh, in Japan. So let's get the details of that. Right. Until yesterday, you had to stay three days at a hotel or other accommodation upon arrival in Japan. But not anymore for those entering from Korea. As Japan's foreign ministry announced on Monday, it will exempt the neighboring country from this regulation starting midnight the 17th, so today. So if you're vaccinated against COVID-19 three times, you just have to test negative against the virus upon arrival, and you're not subject to a three-day quarantine period. Actually, I'm not even vaccinated three times. Yeah, so. you, haven't, you haven't got your booster shot yet. Actually, no, I think, yeah, I think it's time for me to get boosted. <laughs> so this is a quite significant development for Korea, with which along with Egypt, Pakistan, Bulgaria, South Africa, Laos, and Russia had been among countries that had to follow the compulsory quarantine rule but in the latest move by Japan, only South Korea was excluded. Now, recently, Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida said Tokyo will gradually review COVID-19 quarantine measures after monitoring the infection trend around the Golden Week holidays, which was until May 8th. And uh, this also comes as South Korea's government had requested an exemption from quarantine in a bid to expand people-to-people -people exchanges between Korea and Japan that have been shrinking amid the pandemic as well as souring bilateral ties. And South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol also addressed the issue when he met with Japanese lawmakers right after taking office. There, he also hinted on the restoration of the Kimpo Haneda air route if Koreans are exempted from quarantine rules. So maybe that will be the next uh, step we'll be seeing. So I'm actually very surprised you haven't got the booster shot. Uh, I would have thought. I actually, yeah, I just realized <laughs> I never mentioned it on air, but actually, I was only, only fully, fully um, vaccinated. Too, I would have thought. Wow. You would have, yeah, I wasn't boosted. I would, I would have thought that you had your fourth, fifth, sixth shots by now, <laughs> uh, considering how uh, you know cautious, cautious. you are. But uh, yeah, again, I think a lot of people uh, forgot that it was time to get boosted, uh, or didn't see the the I guess um, the significance of being boosted because of uh, you know we're seeing a you know, rising infection. Just be careful is the best. Yeah, I actually have my. Reason for that, I'll tell you later because we're running out of time. Okay, we are. Uh, <laughs> President Yoon's special envoy, of course, uh, offering his condolence uh, over the death of UAE President Sheikh Khalifa bin Zayed Al Nahyan on behalf of Yoon and the South Korean government. Uh, the 
envoy also having delivered Yoon's commitment to enhancing bilateral relations with the UAE to the new president, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nahyan. Let's get the details of this, uh, Chihi. Sure. So according to the foreign ministry today, ruling People Power Party lawmaker Chang Jae-won extended sympathies to Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nahyan, the new president of the UAE, on behalf of President Yoon as his special envoy over the death of President Sheikh Khalifa bin Zayed Al Nahyan. Uh, Chang also delivered Yoon's hope to Sheikh Mohammed that South Korea and the UAE will take new leaps under their new leadership. Uh, the special envoy, envoy also handed over a letter from Yoon to Sheikh Mohammed congratulating him on his inauguration. Uh, he also stressed that advancing ties with South Korea is crucial for his country as well, as South Korea is a special partner state to the UAE. Uh, meanwhile, Lee Jae-yong, Samsung Electronics vice chairman, reportedly visit, visited the memorial altar set at the UAE embassy in Yongsan, Seoul, to express his sympathy over the death of the UAE president as well. Uh, very quickly, we also have three more officials who are being named by uh, President Yoon today. Let's get the details of that as well. Sure. So, uh, the, there were three new officials who were named by the UAE administration. Cho Tae-yong, first of all, who served as former vice foreign minister, was named as the South Korean ambassador to the U.S. Uh, he's a first-term term lawmaker for the People Power Party uh, and a career diplomat of nearly three decades and an expert on Korea-U.S. ties and North Korea nuclear issues. And Pek Kyung-lan, a professor of medicine at Songkyunkwan University, was named director of the Korea Disease Control and Prevention Agency. And Yoon also named Kim So-young, and economics professor at Seoul National University as vice chairman of the Financial Services Commission. Oh, snoo. All right, uh, let's go uh, COVID-19 updates here. I think uh, more than just the daily infections now, I think uh, the things that we're going to be seeing more carefully is whether or not we have these sub-variants of Omicron uh, popping up here in the country. So, uh, so let's get the details on how uh, recent infectious numbers are looking here in Korea. Right. So starting with the subvariants of the Omicron variant, BA4 and BA5 uh, that have been found in more than a dozen countries have both been detected here in Korea. Uh, so we've got one case of the BA4, and that's uh, an imported case from South Africa. In fact, South Africa has the highest number of both BA4 and BA5 yeah, subvariants. Yeah. And we also got two BA5 cases, uh, and one of those uh, has been said to be a domestic infection and one imported case. Uh, that imported case, BA5, came from Turkey. Uh, so this is uh, a concern because uh, these um, subvariants are said to be uh, f spreading faster than the uh, BA2, the stealth variant earlier. Uh, and we also have more cases of the BA2-12 one subvariant. Mm. Uh, and now 13 additional cases have brought the total to 19. And among those, for the first time, we also have a domestic transmission. Uh, so authorities, however, ask not to panic uh, as all of these recently emerged subvariants do not show any different symptoms from the original COVID, uh, the original Omicron variant, that is. And infections do continue their downward trend. Uh, around 35,000 cases were reported this Tuesday, and that is a decline from close to 50,000 a week before and over 51,000 cases two weeks ago. 
Yeah, uh, if you've gotten the Omicron uh, variant before, you can get reinfected if the BA4 and BA5 uh, pops up, apparently. So th this is something that we have to be very cautious about. I was just kind of looking at the vaccination rate over in South Africa. It's only 31% of the population being fully vaccinated, which is, this was a big concern, right? If you have uh, less uh, vaccination amongst a certain country, uh, the the variants are going to continue to evolve and we'll have new variants pop up. And right. this is, again, an example of this. Uh, the United United States, in the meantime, witnessing a resurgence in its uh, COVID-19 infections, although even there, I don't think the numbers are real because they're not really testing a lot of people anymore. A uh, number of newly confirmed cases expected to see the peak of the Delta variant reach last summer. Let's get the details of this, GP. Right. So the United States is experiencing a resurgence in COVID-19 infections. A new forecast models used by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention show that daily hospital admission levels and new virus-related deaths in the country are projected to continue increasing for the next few weeks. Uh, the Northeast and Midwest regions in particular are expected to see figures surpassing, like you said, the peak of the Delta variant of last summer. And according to the CDC, the country reported a daily average of 90,337 new infections as of the 15th. And the figure is an increase of more than 60% compared to two weeks ago. And new infections have been maintaining an upward trend since April. Uh, experts also warn that the number will rise in the summer season as more people tend to spend time indoors without masks on uh, due to the scorching heat. And health experts said vaccines and boosters continue to provide significant protection against severe diseases. And as such, health authorities have begun to recommend those who fall in the high-risk group uh, get additional booster shots and wear masks when they're indoors. Yeah, I, I think it's an endless cycle. I mean, uh, what was it, a couple of weeks ago, I think the White House warned that the uh, you know the United States could see something like 100 million cases by fall and winter mm -hmm. uh, once the resurgence happens. But uh, just it's I mean, when is it going to end? Right. Uh, mass off on the uh, outdoor scenes. Is that going to be coming back indoor? Are we going to start lifting lifting it? Uh, we don't know, I think. But uh, for sure, we have to take a look at these uh, BA4, BA5 uh, subvariants moving forward here in the country very carefully, because I think that's going to be the one thing that changes the future of uh, COVID-19. Mm -hmm. uh, nevertheless, guys, thank you very much uh, for your uh, report and your insights. Uh, although we didn't finish, <laughs> are you really thanking us for that? Uh, although we Let's didn't finish it. it, I think we need to continue it one time or another. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to talk about it more <laughs> later on. But uh, guys, thank you and uh, stay safe. We'll see you again. Thank, thank you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application. Or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.